Chapter 19, Part 1 of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Catherine Edman. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Chapter 19, Part 1. Chapter 19, Showing How the Method of Educating Daughters Makes It Difficult for Them to Enter into the Spirit of Christian Humility, How Miserably They Are Injured and Abused by Such an Education, The Spirit of a Better Education, Represented in the Character of Eusebia. That turn of mind which is taught and encouraged in the education of daughters makes it exceeding difficult for them to enter into such a sense and practice of humility as the spirit of Christianity requireth. The right education of this sex is of the utmost importance to human life. There is nothing that is more desirable for the common good of all the world. For though women do not carry on the trade and business of the world, yet, as they are mothers and mistresses of families, that have for some time the care of the education of their children of both sorts, they are entrusted with that which is of the greatest consequence to human life. For this reason, good or bad women are likely to do as much good or harm in the world as good or bad men in the greatest business of life. For as the health and strength or weakness of our bodies is very much owing to their methods of treating us when we were young, so the soundness or folly of our minds are not less owing to those first tempers and ways of thinking which we eagerly receive from the love, tenderness, authority, and constant conversation of our mothers. As we call our first language our mother tongue, so we may as justly call our first tempers our mother tempers and perhaps it may be found more easy to forget the language than to part entirely with those tempers which we learnt in the nursery. It is therefore much to be lamented that this sex, on whom so much depends, who have the first forming of both our bodies and our minds, are not only educated in pride, but in the silliest and most contemptible part of it. They are not indeed suffered to dispute with us the proud prizes of arts and sciences, of learning and eloquence, in which I have much suspicion they would often prove our superiors. But we turn them over to the study of beauty and dress, and the whole world conspires to make them think of nothing else. Fathers and mothers, friends and relations, seem to have no other wish towards the little girl, but that she may have a fair skin, a fine shape, dress well, and dance to admiration. Now if a fondness for our persons, a desire of beauty, a love of dress, be a part of pride, as surely it is a most contemptible part of it, the first step towards a woman's humility seems to require a repentance of her education. For it must be owned that, generally speaking, good parents are never more fond of their daughters than when they see them too fond of themselves and dressed in such a manner as is a great reproach to the gravity and sobriety of the Christian life. And what makes this matter still more to be lamented is this, that women are not only spoiled by this education, 
but we spoil that part of the world which would otherwise furnish most instances of an eminent and exalted piety for i believe it may be affirmed that for the most part there is a finer sense a clearer mind a readier apprehension and gentler dispositions in that sex than in the other all which tempers if they are truly improved by proper studies and sober methods of education would in all probability carry them to greater heights of piety than are to be found amongst the generality of men for this reason i speak to this matter with so much openness and plainness because it is much to be lamented that persons so naturally qualified to be great examples of piety should by an erroneous education be made poor and gaudy spectacles of the greatest vanity the church has formerly had eminent saints in that sex and it may reasonably be thought that it is purely owing to their poor and vain education that this honor of their sex is for the most part confined to former ages the corruption of the world indulges them in great vanity and mankind seem to consider them in no other view than as so many painted idols that are to allure and gratify their passions so that if many women are vain light gugaw creatures they have this to excuse themselves that they are not only such as their education has made them but such as the generality of the world allows them to be but then they should consider that the friends to their vanity are no friends of theirs they should consider that they are to live for themselves that they have as great a share in the rational nature as men have that they have as much reason to pretend to and as much necessity to aspire after the highest accomplishments of a christian and solid virtue as the gravest and wisest among christian philosophers they should consider that they are abused and injured and betrayed from their only perfection whenever they are taught that anything is an ornament in them that is not an ornament in the wisest among mankind it is generally said that women are naturally of little and vain minds but this i look upon to be as false and unreasonable as to say that butchers are naturally cruel for as their cruelty is not owing to their nature but to their way of life which has changed their nature so whatever littleness and vanity is to be observed in the minds of women it is like the cruelty of butchers a temper that is wrought into them by that life which they are taught and accustomed to lead at least thus much must be said that we cannot charge anything upon their nature till we take care that it is not perverted by their education and on the other hand if it were true that they were thus naturally vain and light then how much more blamable is that education which seems contrived to strengthen and increase this folly and weakness of their minds for if it were a virtue in a woman to be proud and vain in herself we could hardly take better means to raise this passion in her than those that are now used in her education matilda is a fine woman of good breeding great sense and much religion she has three daughters that are educated by herself she will not trust them with any one else or at any school for fear they should learn anything ill 
she stays with the dancing-master all the time he is with them, because she will hear everything that is said to them. She has heard them read the scriptures so often that they can repeat great part of it without book. And there is scarce a good book of devotion, but you may find it in their closets. Had Matilda lived in the first ages of Christianity, when it was practiced in the fullness and plainness of its doctrines, she had in all probability been one of its greatest saints. But as she was born in corrupt times, where she wants examples of Christian perfection, and hardly ever saw a piety higher than her own, so she has many defects, and communicates them all to her daughters. Matilda never was meanly dressed in her life, and nothing pleases her in dress but that which is very rich and beautiful to the eye. Her daughters see her great zeal for religion, but then they see an equal earnestness for all sorts of finery. They see she is not negligent of her devotion, but then they see her more careful to preserve her complexion, and to prevent those changes which time and age threaten her with. They are afraid to meet her if they have missed the church, but then they are more afraid to see her if they are not laced as straight as they can possibly be. She often shows them her own picture, which was taken when their father fell in love with her. She tells them how distracted he was with passion at the first sight of her, and that she never had so fine a complexion but for the diligence of her good mother, who took exceeding care of it. Matilda is so intent upon all the arts of improving their dress that she has some new fancy almost every day, and leaves no ornament of tried, from the richest jewel to the poorest flower. She is so nice and critical in her judgment, so sensible of the smallest error, that the maid is often forced to dress and undress her daughters three or four times in a day before she can be satisfied with it. As to the patching, she reserves that to herself, for, she says, if they are not stuck on with judgment, they are rather a prejudice than an advantage to the face. The children see so plainly the temper of their mother that they even affect to be more pleased with dress and to be more fond of every little ornament than they really are, merely to gain her favor. They saw their eldest sister once brought to tears and her perverseness severely reprimanded for presuming to say that she thought it was better to cover the neck than to go so far naked as the modern dress requires. She stints them in their meals, and is very scrupulous of what they eat and drink, and tells them how many fine shapes she has seen spoiled in her time for want of such care. If a pimple rises in their faces, she is in a great fright, and they themselves are as afraid to see her with it as if they had committed some great sin. Whenever they begin to look too sanguine and healthful, she calls in the assistance of the doctor, and if physic or issues will keep the complexion from inclining to coarse or ruddy, she thinks them well employed. By this means they are poor, pale, sickly, and firm creatures, vapored through want of spirits, crying at the smallest accidents, swooning away at anything that frights them, and hardly able to bear the weight of their best clothes. The eldest daughter lived as long as she could under this discipline, and died in the twentieth year of her age. 
when her body was opened it appeared that her ribs had grown into her liver and that her other entrails were much hurt by being crushed together with her stays which her mother had ordered to be twitched so straight that it often brought tears into her eyes whilst the maid was dressing her her youngest daughter has run away with a gamester a man of great beauty who in dressing and dancing has no superior matilda says she should die with grief at this accident but that her conscience tells her she has contributed nothing to it herself she appeals to their closets to their books of devotion to testify what care she has taken to establish her children in a life of solid piety and devotion now though i do not intend to say that no daughters are brought up in a better way than this for i hope that there are many that are yet thus much i believe may be said that the greater part of them are not brought up so well or accustomed to so much religion as in the present instance their minds are turned as much to the care of their beauty and dress and to the indulgence of vain desires as in the present case without having such rules of devotion to stand against it so that if solid piety humility and a sober sense of themselves is much wanted in that sex it is the plain and natural consequence of a vain and corrupt education and if they are often too ready to receive the first fops bows and fine dancers for their husbands it is no wonder that they should like that in men which they have been taught to admire in themselves and if they are often seen to lose that little religion they were taught in their youth it is no more to be wondered at than to see a little flower choked and killed amongst rank weeds for personal pride and affectation a delight in beauty and fondness of finery are tempers that must either kill all religion in the soul or be themselves killed by it they can no more thrive together than health and sickness some people that judge hastily will perhaps here say that i am exercising too great a severity against the sex but more reasonable persons will easily observe that i entirely spare the sex and only arraign their education that i not only spare them but plead their interest assert their honour set forth their perfections commend their natural tempers and only condemn that education which is so injurious to their interests so debases their honour and deprives them of the benefit of their excellent natures and tempers their education i profess i cannot spare but the only reason is because it is their greatest enemy because it deprives the world of so many blessings and the church of so many saints as might reasonably be expected from persons so formed by their natural tempers to all goodness and tenderness and so fitted by the clearness and brightness of their minds to contemplate love and admire everything that is holy virtuous and divine if it should here be said that i even charge too high upon their education and that they are not so much hurt by it as i imagine it may be answered that though i do not pretend to state the exact degree of mischief that is done by it yet its plain and natural tendency to do harm is sufficient to justify the most absolute condemnation of it but if any one would know how generally women are hurt by this education 
if he imagines there may be no personal pride or vain fondness of themselves in those that are patched and dressed out with so much glitter of art and ornament let him only make the following experiment wherever he pleases let him only acquaint any such woman with his opinion of her i do not mean that he should tell her to her face or do it in any rude public manner but let him contrive the most civil secret friendly way that he can think of only to let her know his opinion that he thinks she is neither handsome nor dresses well nor becomes her finery and i dare say he will find there are but very few finely dressed women that will like him never the worse for his bare opinion though known to none but themselves and that he will not be long without seeing the effects of their resentment but if such an experiment would show him there are but few such women that could bear with his friendship after they knew he had such an opinion of them surely it is time to complain of and accuse that education which so generally corrupts their hearts for though it is hard to judge the hearts of people yet where they declare their resentment and uneasiness at anything there they pass the judgment upon themselves if a woman cannot forgive a man who thinks she has no beauty nor any ornament from her dress there she infallibly discovers the state of her own heart and is condemned by her own and not another's judgment for we never are angry at others but when their opinions of us are contrary to that which we have of ourselves a man that makes no pretence to scholarship is never angry at those that do not take him to be a scholar so if a woman has no opinion of her own person and dress she should never be angry at those who are of the same opinion with herself so that the general bad effects of this education are too much known to admit of any reasonable doubt but how possible it is to bring up daughters in the more excellent way let the following character declare eusebia is a pious widow well-born and well-bred and has a good estate for five daughters whom she brings up as one entrusted by god to fit five virgins for the kingdom of heaven her family has the same regulation as a religious house and all its orders tend to the support of a constant regular devotion she her daughters and her maids meet together at all the hours of prayer in the day and chant psalms and other devotions and spend the rest of their time in such good works and innocent diversions as render them fit to return to their psalms and prayers she loves them as her spiritual children and they reverence her as their spiritual mother with an affection far above that of the fondest friends she has divided part of her estate amongst them that every one may be charitable out of her own stock and each of them takes it in her turn to provide for the poor and sick of the parish eusebia brings them up to all kinds of labor that are proper for women as sewing knitting spinning and all other parts of housewifery not for their amusement but that they may be serviceable to themselves and others and be saved from those temptations which attend an idle life she tells them she had rather see them reduced to the necessity of maintaining themselves by their own work than to have riches to excuse themselves from labor for though she says 
you may be able to assist the poor without your labor, yet by your labor you will be able to assist them more. If Eusebia has lived as free from sin as it is possible for human nature, it is because she is always watching and guarding against all instances of pride. And if her virtues are stronger and higher than other people's, it is because they are all founded in a deep humility. My children, she says, when your father died, I was much pitied by my friends as having all the care of a family and the management of an estate fallen upon me. But my own grief was founded upon another principle. I was grieved to see myself deprived of so faithful a friend, and that such an eminent example of Christian virtues should be taken from the eyes of his children before they were of an age to love and follow it. But as to worldly cares, which my friends thought so heavy upon me, they are most of them of our own making, and fall away as soon as we know ourselves. If a person in a dream is disturbed with strange appearances, his trouble is over as soon as he is awake, and sees that it was the folly of a dream. Now, when a right knowledge of ourselves enters into our minds, it makes as great change in all our thoughts and apprehensions as when we awake from the wanderings of a dream. We acknowledge a man to be mad or melancholy, who fancies himself to be a glass, and so is afraid of stirring, or, taking himself to be wax, dares not let the sun shine upon him. But, my children, there are things in the world which pass for wisdom, politeness, grandeur, happiness, and fine breeding, which show as great ignorance of ourselves, and might as justly pass for thorough madness as when a man fancies himself to be glass or ice. A woman that dares not appear in the world without fine clothes, that thinks it a happiness to have a face finely colored, to have a skin delicately fair, that had rather die than be reduced to poverty and be forced to work for a poor maintenance, is as ignorant of herself to the full as he that fancies himself to be glass. For this reason, all my discourse with you has been to acquaint you with yourselves, and to accustom you to such books and devotions as may best instruct you in this greatest of all knowledge. You would think it hard not to know the family into which you were born, what ancestors you were descended from, and what estate was to come to you. But, my children, you may know all this with exactness, and yet be as ignorant of yourselves as he that takes himself to be wax. For though you were all of you born of my body, and bear your father's name, yet you are all of you pure spirits. I do not mean that you have not bodies that want meat and drink, and sleep and clothing, but that all that deserves to be called you is nothing else but spirit, a being spiritual and rational in its nature, that is as contrary to all fleshly or corporeal beings as life is contrary to death, that is made in the image of God to live forever, never to cease any more but to enjoy life and reason and knowledge and happiness in the presence of God and the society of angels and glorious spirits to all eternity. Everything that you call yours, besides the spirit, 
is but like your clothing, something that is only to be used for a while, and then to end and die and wear away, and to signify no more to you than the clothing and bodies of other people. But, my children, you are not only in this manner spirits, but you are fallen spirits, that began your life in a state of corruption and disorder, full of tempers and passions that blind and darken the reason of your mind, and incline you to that which is hurtful. Your bodies are not only poor and perishing like your clothes, but they are like infected clothes, that fill you with ill diseases and distempers, which oppress the soul with sickly appetites and vain cravings. So that all of us are like two beings, that have, as it were, two hearts within us, with one we see and taste and admire reason, purity and holiness. With the other, we incline to pride and vanity and sensual delights. This internal war we always feel within us more or less. And if you would know the one thing necessary to all the world, it is this, to preserve and perfect all that is rational, holy, and divine in our nature, and to mortify, remove, and destroy all that vanity, pride, and sensuality which springs from the corruption of our state. End of chapter 19, part 1. Recorded by Catherine Edman.